Tashara Jones is no stranger to citywide races. She's in her third term as St. Louis treasurer, and 2021 marks her second race for mayor. If elected, Jones plans to use her post as the chief executive of her hometown to fight for its reputation at the regional, state, and national levels. She joins me next on Politically Speaking to discuss developing a strategic plan for the city, breaking down the silos in government, and having the hard conversations about race. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. It's a little complicated in Bolivar because there is a Parsons family there. But we also knew that it was important to make sure that, that we got to where we needed to go. You know if you walk in a room and you're getting ready to make a decision and everybody in the room looks like you, you need to stop. And right now what happens in the United States Senate is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. Well, we want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together. I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, Rachel Lipman. Joining me on the podcast today is... Tashara Jones, treasurer of the city of St. Louis. And in addition to being the treasurer, Tashara is one of the four candidates running for mayor of St. Louis. We will be recording Politically Speaking episodes with all of them. You can actually find our conversation with Kara Spencer on our website, stlpublicradio.org. The others will be following shortly. And Tashara, as you mentioned, you are already treasurer of the city of St. Louis. What more is it that you believe you can do for the city as mayor? Well, as treasurer, I've been able to uh, take a platform and actually implement it. Um, and, you know, it's one thing to have a vision, but it's in a platform. The other is it's a totally different thing to actually implement that platform. And I've been able to do that as treasurer for the last eight years. Um, and so I'm the only candidate in this race uh, that has that experience, that also has the experience, uh, the uh, a management experience of leading a staff of hundreds of people and the relationships on the state and national levels to put St. Louis back on the map. And I think that's something we so desperately need. Our, our reputation uh, has suffered in recent years uh, and it's time to change the narrative uh, back to uh, the St. Louis that we all know and love, uh, the St. Louis that I grew up in um, and the St. Louis that we know we can be. And just what is it about the mayor's office that you think enables you to, as you mentioned, sort of change the narrative around the city of St. Louis, uh, those opportunities that aren't available to you as treasurer? So as the chief executive uh, for the city, I'll be able to work with uh, other city departments uh, to work on the national level uh, with our, our partners in federal government uh, to uh, secure resources, uh, grant funds, uh, and, and help people uh, and help our departments uh, be the best that they can be. Uh, St. Louis needs a champion and a fighter on the national level, and I will be that mayor. Tushar, you announced your second run for mayor about two weeks before Lyda Krusen announced that she would not seek a second term. How different is this race now without an incumbent running? And, and who do you think benefits the most from that change in circumstances? Uh, it's definitely a different race uh, without the incumbent um, running because uh, all of the candidates uh, will probably start from the same place. Um, and, uh, and we, and without the uh, uh, incumbent also in the race, that's you know another $600,000 that the mayor had uh, in her campaign account that uh, doesn't get spent in this race. Um, 
And then also it allows uh, our, our, our citizens, uh, because the election has changed, uh, it allows them choices uh, this time around uh, to choose all the candidates they like in the first round. And who do you think that ends up benefiting the most, just sort of the change dynamics of the race and, and who is in it? I think it benefits uh, people with uh, the most name recognition in this, in my opinion. Um, and we all know that those two candidates are myself and Lewis Reed. You alluded to this a little bit in your previous answer, and that is Proposition D has changed the way that this election is going to happen. So uh, voters can select as many individuals as they want in the March primary, and you're all running nonpartisan. And then the top two will advance to the April general election. Um, how do you think this benefits you in terms of, you know, making it so that you have a chance at being mayor or, or how does this benefit just kind of the city in general? I think it benefits the city because it gives uh, our voters uh, choice and a choice and a greater opportunity to participate in their democracy. Uh, when you have multiple candidates in a race, a lot of times people like more than one candidate. Um, and, and this time around, if they like more than one candidate, they in the first round, they can vote for more than one candidate. Um, and we've seen this kind of change, you know, it's not just unique to St. Louis. Um, we've seen this kind of change uh, in, a, in a somewhat similar form in ranked choice voting uh, in other cities across the country, like St. Paul and Minneapolis, Minnesota, um, uh, San Francisco, and now New York City is going to rank choice voting. Um, and, and I think that gives people a greater opportunity to participate in their democracy um, and gives them choices. And I know the intention is that it, it basically means that you have to have a broad base of support throughout the city of St. Louis in order to get elected. Um, is that something that you think kind of benefits you or how does that benefit you in terms of your you know, campaigning style or, or how you would plan to, to govern or campaign? Well, I have always enjoyed a broad base of support. Um, if you look at any of my past campaigns uh, for treasurer and my past campaign for mayor, this is a multiracial, multi generational, multi-ethnic, um, multi-any identity you hold uh, coalition. Um, and we have been very welcoming and opening and inclusive uh, to anyone who, who, who feels that St. Louis uh, is, uh, that we need a mayor that's ready to tackle the 21st century. Um, and so uh, obviously it's, it's, like we said before, it's gonna benefit the person who's able to pull together that sort of diverse coalition. Um, and also has a good name recognition and a good reputation in the community for actually delivering on her promises. What is, do you believe, the number one issue facing the city of St. Louis today? I believe the number one issue facing St. Louis today um, is our reputation as being the most violent city in America, the most racist city in America, and, uh, and a city in America that, lit, that has a whole host of its citizens living in poverty. Um, and, uh, and until we, uh, and we have to do the things that are going to reverse or change the narrative about how people think about St. Louis in order for them to wanna come here, uh, to invest here, to live here and grow here. Let's tackle that first thing you mentioned, which was uh, the plan to address violent crime. Um, what's going to be the way that you tackle that issue? Because it isn't just a reputation. The city of St. Louis does have an issue with violent crime. 262 homicides last year is, is not a good number. 
No, it's not. And my heart breaks every time I see another story about someone losing their life uh, to gun violence. We have to declare that gun violence is a public health crisis in the city of St. Louis and address it accordingly. That means including our flagship uh, university hospitals and uh, bringing them to the table. Uh, that means a community first public safety approach. Uh, bringing all tools to the to the table, not just you know cure violence and not just focus deterrence or not just you know whatever uh, programs that are available. It's going to take all of us at the table because crime doesn't just stop at the Mississippi River or Skinker Boulevard. Uh, so we need to uh, bring our neighbors to the east and to the west. Um, to the table as well uh, and develop a regional approach to solving crime as a region, not just St. Louis City. What do you mean by a community first public safety approach? What is the community in here? Where's the focus on that? Well, the community is uh, unifying police, social service workers, prosecutors, faith organizations, local businesses, uh, and anybody else uh, to combat violent crime. Uh, when you look at other cities across this country uh, that um, have uh, seen market decreases in violent crime, everybody is at the table um, and no voice uh, is, is uh, outweighs others. Uh, so we're, this is one of those things where we need all hands on deck. And, and there are a lot of organizations that are doing some great work, but they're doing it in silos. And so we need to bring all of those resources to the table. Uh, in my opinion, the, the mayor can be a convener of sorts uh, to, to put, those, uh, put everybody at the table and then develop a plan or a strategy that works well for us using all of the tools that we know currently exist. So what voice do you think is missing the most from the conversation right now? And what voice do you think is getting maybe too much or an uneven amount of attention in this conversation right now? You know, I think that, uh, like I said, a lot of people are doing work, um, doing great jobs in, in their respective corners, right? So we have the Urban League doing some great work. We have uh, Better Family Life doing great work. We've got Cure Violence. We've got Focus Deterrence. We've got, you know, the unions trying to get people employed and workforce development agencies. I think we have to bring all of that together. I don't think there's any one voice that's getting more attention than, than the other or that, that anybody's missing. It's just that we're not working all together. Have you had a chance to review the Teneo Group's report on the city of St. Louis? I have. What do you think of it? Um, do you think you'll implement the suggestions? Was there anything kind of missing in that report? Um, I was shocked at uh, their revelation of uh, not having a strategy. Um, I, I, you know, I thought that the the chief is is a big data guy, and I thought that he had had you know a strategy at least identified on how to uh, combat violent crime. Um, and I was shocked at the communication. Um, the lack of communication uh, that there is within the department and the communication with the department in other places. But I also think, you know, on a broader scale that there's a lack of communication period within city government um, uh, as a whole. Uh, and I, I'm actually looking to change that as well and have uh, more frequent meetings with our citywide, other citywide elected officials, um, because there are programs and grants that, you know, we could be applying for that all they need sometimes is a letter from the mayor's office saying, yes, I support this program. And yes, they can get that grant. 
Um, and I, I look to working with uh, my colleagues, uh, the other eight citywide elected officials uh, to, uh, to uh, get them what they need and then get out of their way. Do you think the right people are in place right now in public safety leadership to be able to implement a strategy, break down some of those silos, or is it kind of just too soon to tell? Um, I, I think it's too soon to tell, but I also believe that um, um, that everything has to be on the table as we move forward. We cannot continue to have the same uh, old solutions uh, to uh, to address public safety and crime and expect a different output. Um, so everything and everybody is on the table. The second thing that you mentioned as part of the city's reputation is the issues around poverty in the city. And I'm wondering where you see that sort of manifesting the most. What is the city's kind of biggest issue around poverty? And what would you do as mayor to, to help work towards that, uh, towards fixing that? I, I think our income gap um, between black and white families, I think is how it manifests itself the most. Uh, a lot of uh, African-Americans don't have access to uh, living wage jobs uh, that can, where they can only work one job and take care of their family. Uh, I'm the first citywide elected official to raise minimum wage to $15 an hour. And you should see how that changed, directly changed the lives of several people on my staff um, who were making uh, $7.25 when I started as treasurer in 2013. Um, so now, you know, they can stop working that second job. And I, I've received letters from some people on my staff saying, you know, thank you because, because of this now, I don't have to make that choice between uh, feeding my family and paying a bill. Um, and so we need to uh, see what we can do to uh, close the income gap. Um, the, or the wage gap, and, uh, and in my opinion, close the wealth gap uh, in home ownership. Uh, we still have redlining in the city of St. Louis, uh, where homes north of Del Mar are uh, val or valued, uh, or uh, at least twenty to thirty percent um, less than uh, the same home if it's located south of Del Mar. I mean, we've seen the ho the housing stock. It look the housing stock in the thirteenth ward is almost identical to the housing stock in the second ward. And yet, you know, those same homes built the same way, probably the same year, um, are, are valued uh, 20 to 30% less uh, in North St. Louis versus that same home in South, South, South St. Louis. So we need to find pathways uh, to create generational wealth, um, as well as to close the racial and the income gap and the wealth gap. I know obviously you aren't in this office yet and therefore don't necessarily know kind of everything you would have available to you to tackle this, but where do you think the mayor can, you know, use his or her power, his or her leverage to address some of those in, you know, what you mentioned, wealth gap, redlining, et cetera? Um, uh, there are already some programs that are working um, that, that actually they're starting to try to work here and are working across the across the country uh, to address the, the especially the wealth gap in home ownership um, uh, with uh, the greenlining fund, for example, um, which uh, brings financial institutions and banks to the table uh, to uh, to make the loan between the gap that is the appraisal and what it, and what the uh, what the uh, homeowner needs to actually fix up that home or, or uh, 
create a, a better comp within that neighborhood uh, because it's a self-fulfilling prophecy when there are no comparable sales within a neighborhood because there's no development going on in that neighborhood uh, because there have been no families moving into that neighborhood. So we have to uh, level the playing field and use all the tools uh, with our financial institutions to do so. That's just one idea. You mentioned in your kickoff speech and at plenty of other times that the city is not a poor city, it's a cheap city. Where are the biggest flaws in the city's budgeting process that leads it to be the cheap city and not the poor city? Yeah, absolutely. I think we see it already with 0.2% uh, of our budget is spent on health and human services. Um, and over 50% of our budget is spent on public safety. Um, and, uh, and, and we know that, uh, uh, that just throwing more cops at, at a situation isn't going to make us safe, but actually invest in the things that make people safe when we know that uh, almost 50% of calls can be answered by someone other than police, then we should be investing in um, uh, hiring different types of personnel so we deploy the right type of professional to the right type of call and avoid some of those bad outcomes like the one where St. Louis has more, more police involved shootings per capita than any other city in the country. Uh, that's because, unfortunately, we don't have the right type of personnel uh, to deploy to, some, to the right type of call when someone is having a mental health breakdown, when someone is, uh, is high on drugs, um, and, or when someone is uh, inebriated and needs a sobering center. So how do we provide, how do we invest in the resources that are going to keep people safe? Uh, in their homes and in their neighborhoods? Um, and how do we uh, address budget priorities to do that? What's your thought on kind of the mechanics of the city's budget? I think that's exactly what we do with the city's budget. We, we, we nibble around the edges. This is what we did last year. Um, and this is what we should do going forward. You know, add a little bit here, take away a little bit there. Um, and like I said, everything has to be on the table. So I'm in favor of doing a top to bottom uh, review, a top to bottom audit of our city's, uh, of our city's processes, what we spend, uh, how much money we bring in. Uh, we have to do a, a, a detailed analysis of our sources and uses of funds. And when I say sources, that could mean, you know, taxes that we're collecting. Are we really collecting the, the amount that we should be? If not, why? Uh, or our fee structure. Um, when's the last time the fee structure has been looked at for certain fees that we pay for certain things? Uh, should that be adjusted? And, um, and how do we, uh, and, and then where's that money going? Um, and is the money that we're spending, are we actually getting a return on our investment in different programs and services uh, uh, that we currently pay for? One of the biggest impacts on the city's budget is obviously going to be the COVID-19 pandemic. You're not getting an entertainment tax, hotel tax, all of that. How would you, um, you know, it's going to be the first step to try and cushion some of the impact and then, you know, make the city positioned when things are able to rebound. Yeah, so I think one of the one piece of that equation that's missing is we don't we don't yet know what kind of relief we're going to get from the federal government. Uh, and if the first seven days are any indicator of, uh, of how the Biden-Harris administration is going to, um, um, is going to act, um, you know, I'm hopeful that 
um, that we'll see a lot more and a lot, a lot of new programs and services coming from the federal government designed to uh, give everybody uh, uh, a, a job with a living wage, uh, to support our unions, uh, to support building infrastructure. Um, we'll need to also staff up for this vaccination push that the, that the uh, administration has recently announced to have everybody vaccinated by the end of the summer. You know, that's going to require a lot of it's going to, that's going to get a lot of people employed. Uh, and then also this $1.9 trillion um, aid package. I've been a part of uh, a couple of national organizations of uh, elected officials pushing for direct aid uh, to cities with less than, with populations less than 500,000. And also have uh, talked to our Congresswoman about that as well. Uh, so I think that there, there are some uh, pieces of the equation that we don't yet know. Um, so we'll be able to make a better decision once we have those pieces. From the public health aspect of the pandemic, as you look at how the city has responded to it, um, are there things that you would absolutely continue as you came in as mayor? Are there tighter restrictions you would put in or different ways that you would respond to the, the, the pandemic part of the pandemic? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we would definitely continue a mask mandate until at least until everyone has been vaccinated or until the CDC tells us otherwise. Um, but I would also, uh, I would have had a stronger relationship with St. Louis County. Um, in my opinion, it made no sense that St. Louis City and St. Louis County had different health directives and that you could eat indoors in St. Louis City, but you couldn't eat indoors in St. Louis County. Um, and that showed, uh, in my opinion, a lack of communication and a, and a lack of coordination. And then we also saw a, an announcement today uh, from uh, Dr. Sam Page that St. Louis County is about to do a, a massive sort of vaccination site. Uh, that's something that we should be doing on a regional basis and putting all of our collective resources at the table. Uh, so it didn't matter whether or not you lived in the city or in the county, you could go anywhere uh, that's closest to you uh, to get a vaccine and it didn't matter if you lived in the city or in the county. The pandemic has revealed that there really isn't a true regional strategy for something like a response to a global health emergency or development. Why do you think you would be the best person positioned to truly get a regional response, not just with Dr. Page in St. Louis County, but with uh, Mr. Elman in St. Charles County and Mr. Gannon in Jefferson County and sort of even the Metro East uh, regions? You know, I, I don't know if I'll be able to get a better response, uh, but I do know that uh, I have a master's in health administration with a, with a background in public health uh, and delivering uh, and working in public health uh, for at least 12 years before I came to politics. Uh, so, you know, I would have the, um, uh, uh, the experience behind me to know exactly what I'm talking about uh, as I approach uh, our different regional leaders. Um, and so all, all I can do is, is hope that, um, that they respond to reason um, and this sort of argument of personal responsibility is actually killing us um, and, is, and is making us less safe um, and, uh, and hopefully uh, they'll start to come around. And we will be right back after this short break. 
And we're back on Politically Speaking with Treasurer Tashara Jones. I'm Rachel Lipman. And earlier in our conversation, Tashara, you mentioned uh, crime, poverty, and racism as the three things that are really kind of holding back the reputation of St. Louis. Um, how would you as mayor try and tackle the issue of racism, which underlines so much else of how the city functions? Uh, so I, I, I read some history about St. Louis uh, before I was born, actually, and found that uh, a lot of the uh, things that uh, other cities went through after the death of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, St. Louis didn't have riots. Um, and so I think that our, our approach to racism has been one of those things where we try to just sweep it under the rug and not have those direct uncomfortable conversations about how systemic racism in our region really prohibits um, uh, or really leaves, uh, pulls us behind and, and prohibits us from being the, the region that we can be. Uh, and so I would, you know, I would look to have maybe a truth and re reconciliation, either commission or discussion. Um, we've had some of these discussions sometimes when, you know, the uh, For the Sake of All report was released um, about health disparities between zip codes. Uh, the Ferguson Commission report uh, was centered in race. Uh, and both of those reports, in my opinion, sit on a desk and collect dust until we are serious about and, and intentional about uh, putting racial equity at the center of all of our decisions, uh, race will be one of those things that continues to hold our region back from being the best it can be. Give me an example of a policy decision or a policy way that you would center racial equity. Um, I'll, I'll toss out development, for example. How would a development strategy have uh, racial equity at its center in a Tashara Jones administration? Uh, that is actually the first example I was going to give, uh, which was development. You know, we have to be intentional about our investment in economic development and where we use our incentives for economic development. Uh, we've seen that over 50% of, of tax incentives have only been used in four wards. And so in my administration, I would be intentional about sending investment into neighborhoods north north of Del Mar and also in South St. Louis where that have seen little to no investment over decades. And so since we haven't invested in those, in those neighborhoods over decades, we cannot be surprised that A, the population is declining in those neighborhoods and also that the schools are closing in those neighborhoods. And so um, I would be intentional about investment um, and, and, and also putting racial equity at the center of not just development decisions, but every decision that this administration makes. One of the conversations that has popped up since about uh, 2017 is the potential to lease St. Louis Lambert International Airport. Is there a circumstance under which you could see potentially having a private operator takeover, or would this remain truly just a straight city asset in the Deshara Jones administration? You know, I don't, I don't know. I'm not a fan of privatization. Let me start there. Um, but I am a fan of taking a look at how to monetize uh, and capitalize on the asset that is our St. Louis airport. Uh, our airport is our window to the world um, uh, from other where uh, as people visit our city. 
Um, and we need to make sure that um, that the airport is being run efficiently and effectively. And I do believe that uh, Rhonda Ham is doing a great job. Um, but I also think that uh, we could stand uh, uh, to to take a look at how to capitalize on that asset. And I'm not. Um, uh, I am, I am not, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I'm not opposed to, uh, to, to looking at all of the possibilities. Wanted to go back to the issue of, of race and, and its impact on the city. Why are you, do you think you're the best sort of person equipped to start the difficult conversations about racism that would have to happen to really move the city forward? Uh, I believe that the people closest to the problem are closest to the solution. I was born and raised in St. Louis um, and, and have fond memories of growing up uh, in the city and knowing that um, it hasn't always been this way. But I also know that um, I'm unapologetically black um, and, uh, and, and put that uh, at, you know, at the forefront of you know, when I'm sitting at tables and, and making decisions and putting that in the middle of every decision that I make. Um, and so I feel that, um, you know, being a daughter of this city, uh, being a black daughter of this city, that uh, gives me a, a unique perspective. Uh, also raising a black son uh, in this city gives me a unique perspective um, to, uh, uh, to be able to uh, uh, push that conversation and then let's have that, that honest conversation about race and how we move forward. And how do you move the Forsake of All report, the Ferguson Commission report, off of something gathering dust on the shelf to an actual blueprint for the city and the region? Uh, I think that uh, we move it just by picking it up and looking at the recommendations. Um, and I've been able to implement several recommendations from the Ferguson Commission report uh, in my office, uh, the ones that uh, talk about financial literacy and empowerment. Uh, with the development of the college kids, the college kids children savings account program, with the development of the Office of Financial Empowerment, uh, how we put two million dollars towards updating the North South MetroLink uh, study, um, just to name a few. And uh, and I think I I don't think that the any of the calls to action in the report are unreasonable. Uh, I just think that we need to you know lay them out, take a look at them and see how we can uh, implement them into uh, our, our everyday decisions. And I think we also couple that with the, the 2030 report that Greater St. Louis um, has just released. Uh, and then I think, you know, if we are, if we put all of those together in a, uh, a strategic plan for, for the city and for the region moving forward, I think we'll see those investments of you know, corporate and philanthropy because I, I think they, they stand ready to invest in St. Louis, but we just don't have a plan. And if we present a plan that's based on the research that's already been done um, and move that plan forward, I think that we can start to see a, 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 a real change in what our region looks like and how it treats its citizens. The maps that you will either sign off or not sign off on will be taking the Board of Aldermen down to, to 14 wards, likely. You know, there's a possibility that this issue could get on a later ballot in August and November. But as of right now, those maps are going to be at 14 wards. Where, what are you going to be looking for, either in the redistricting process or in the maps that are presented to you to ensure that the you know residents of North St. Louis, South St. Louis, Central Corridor are all receives equal representation and equal political power. 
I think process is going to be key to this uh, particular part of our history. Um, I would hope that uh, we get an independent demographer or independent commission uh, to draw the maps. Uh, I would hope that the process is open, fair, and transparent. Uh, that uh, that we spend some time uh, in the community um, and, and spend some time uh, with uh, different neighborhoods and different ward organizations uh, actually uh, mulling over this over several months uh, and then vote on and then you know have the board of aldermen vote on it but I think process is key and I want to make I would want to make sure that it's fair open and transparent What's your relationship do you think going to look with the Board of Aldermen, regardless of whether it's, you know, 28 when you would start or 13 when you would finish up or 14 when you would finish up? Um, I think that um, I'm going to try my hardest to have a good relationship with the board, uh, knowing that they are an integral part of city government. Um, my door will always be open for conversations and communication. Um, I think that uh, we should be working better uh, together to, uh, to develop plans that affect the entire city and not just um, uh, plans for this ward and plans for that ward. I think we need to be moving forward uh, in a more cohesive manner uh, to uh, because all of our destinies are linked. You know, what happens in the 27th ward does affect what happens in the 13th ward and what happens in the 16th affects what happens in the second. So we all have a shared destiny. And I would hope that um, my, uh, my uh, communicating with the board in a more frequent manner uh, would uh, lend to more cooperation. Give the listeners here an elevator pitch. Why are you the best candidate for the job at this moment in St. Louis's history? Well, again, it's one thing to have a vision and a platform, but it's a whole different thing to turn that vision and platform into a reality. And that's exactly what I've done in the last eight years in the treasurer's office. I'm the only candidate with the executive experience of turning a vision into a reality, the management experience of leading a staff of hundreds of people, and the relationships on the state and national levels to put St. Louis back on the map. For all of our stories, you can go to stlpublicradio.org. I'm on Twitter at rlipman, that's two P's and two N's. Deshara, where can people find you and your mayoral campaign? They can find us at www.tashara4mayor.com. Until next time, so long. <laughs>